church network. Uh, he texted me, he's like, hey, I'm not doing anything the 18th, you mind, or do you want me to come? And I'm like, oh, absolutely, I want you to come. You don't ever have to ask, you can just show up on a Sunday morning, and I'll just say, here you go, you can do whatever you want. But he's here this morning, I just want to say this, he's always a really hard person to introduce, and I'll, I'll call you on up to the stage real quick. Uh, he's a hard person to introduce because uh, he's the real deal. And most of the time when you have a hero in the faith, there's someone that's been dead for a long time. And uh, he's a hero of the faith that is still alive for a long time for me. And he's been someone that uh, recognized something in Anna and I, and he believed in us, and he took a chance on us when nobody else did and invested in us. And uh, he's just really modeled what it means to, to follow Jesus and to love Jesus and to love his family and to pastor a church. So please give a warm, radiant welcome to my pastor, Pastor Lee. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Can you believe we're a week out? This is, uh, I got some wrapping to do. So we got some trouble. It's great to see everybody. I haven't seen most of you since I was in your living room for Fearless looking out through the TV staring at you. If that creeps you out, it's just a joke. Sometimes you wonder that when you're watching people in the video, what would really be going on if they could actually see me? You know, wouldn't it just, I mean, my imagination's a little out there, but imagine if you're watching a small group curriculum like that, and you're talking, and all of a sudden the guy who's on the screen actually begins to engage in a conversation. Would that freak anybody out? No? You guys are normal. All right, great, good. It's great to be here. We love Radiant Church, Ann Arbor. love Pastor Jeremy and Anna. And, uh, you know, he says that we take, took a chance on him, but when you've got a quality couple like Jeremy and Anna, the odds are in your favor every single time that it's going to go well. And so, do you appreciate your pastors, your leaders? Tell you what, they love you guys. They talk and brag on you and and pray for you, and uh, they are 100% behind all of you. And I have uh, with me this morning my wife, Jane. We're in our 25th year of marriage uh, this year, and she's been my partner through the whole journey. We planted Radiant Church uh, the Kalamazoo, uh, which is the first one, we planted that 20 years ago this year. So it was 20 years ago that we were kind of uh, in the, uh, you guys are way further along than what we were, but 20 years ago we were meeting in a school cafetorium, and uh, it's been an amazing journey. And then we have our youngest uh, daughter, who is right now dreading the fact that I'm talking about her, but <laughs> Tiffany is home from college, and uh She's with us, so can we give Tiffany a hand just to kind of calm her down? All right. Well, this morning, I, I want to bring a message to you that uh, I've been teaching at Radiant uh, this Christmas season, uh, which is actually a series entitled Seeing Jesus. And uh, how many know that you, you can have a room full of people all looking at one thing, and you will have several different interpretations of what you are seeing. It doesn't matter what it is. When I was growing up in the 80s, we had these pictures that had these patterns and these designs on them. And people would say, now, if you stare at it long enough, you'll actually see like a boat or something like that. And I would stare at these pictures, you know, for five, ten minutes. And I could never see the picture that everybody else saw. I would just see, you know, my mind works in such an abstract way that I would just see the patterns and, uh, or someone would put up a picture and, you know, say, well, do you see a rabbit or do you see a duck? And, uh, you know, I would always see the rabbit. And then once somebody told you, well, there's actually a duck there, then you would actually look for it. And then maybe you could see it. When it comes to seeing Jesus, and that's really what 
the Christmas season is really all about. It's a reminder for us as the church, as being Christ followers, to go back to the Scriptures and to re-examine and to remind our hearts who He is. You know, in seeing Jesus, though, we live in a world where people have all kinds of different filters and lenses that they see Jesus through. We all want Jesus to look like our Jesus. Your Jesus may look different than somebody else's Jesus. Some, some people like the Jesus that's their political Jesus. And so it's interesting, we just came through a political season, and I won't make any political comments other than this, that it's amazing how Jesus can get hijacked by anybody's political platform. Has anybody ever noticed that? It's like this person on this party is saying Jesus would vote for them. This person over here would say Jesus would vote for them. But I think when it's all said and done, Jesus wouldn't cast a ballot. Jesus would say, bow the knee, confess with your tongue that I am king, that I am Lord. And uh, so, you know, people see Jesus through a political filter. Sometimes people see Jesus through a religious filter, a denominational filter. They think that, you know, Jesus would... Jesus would justify, Jesus would validate their version or their opinion or their perspective. But what's interesting to me is that in a culture where we have so many different descriptions and, and images about who Jesus should be or we think he is, I think that is a dangerous place for us to be in. Because here's what I know is that if Jesus begins to look too much like me, if Jesus takes on the characteristics that I prefer and want him to have, then I've not really seen Jesus for who he truly is. I've seen an idol of my own making. And what I want to talk to us about this morning is seeing Jesus through the filters of the Christmas story. Now, there's really four filters, four looking glasses that we find in the Christmas story that God, I believe, puts there to help us in, here we are 2,000 years later to be actually to be able to see Jesus for who he truly is. These are kingdom filters. And one of them that we're going to talk about this morning is seeing Jesus through the word. But there's also seeing Jesus through prayer and fasting. If you look at the story of Anna and Simeon, when Jesus walks into the temple to be presented by Joseph and Mary to be dedicated in the house of the Lord, it's interesting to me that out of the thousands of people in the temple on that given day who were there to worship God, who were there to offer their sacrifices, who were praying the prayers, reading the scriptures, saying, God, send our Savior and our Deliverer. There were only two people in the entire temple who actually saw Jesus and recognized Jesus. It was Simeon and Anna. Everybody else was praying to God, offering sacrifices to God, bumping into God but didn't recognize God. And the reason why Anna and Simeon were able to is because they saw Jesus through the filter of prayer and fasting. There's also the filter that God gives us of giving. The Magi who went on the journey, who brought their offerings, and they opened up gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they gave it to Jesus as an offering. When they came, they had to ask directions to find Jesus. When they left, they got a direct revelation of how they should go. And the difference was in the middle they gave. That's another filter. And the fourth filter is the shepherds, how they worshiped. They worshiped God. They encountered God in worship, and they said, let us go and see this, this thing that has happened. And they went and they found Jesus. Worship always opens us to be able to see God for who he truly is. Worship magnifies the Lord. 
But this morning, I want to talk about the foundation of all those filters. The, the one I believe is the most significant, which is the Word of God being the glass through which we see Jesus as He truly is. Because whether it's prayer and fasting, whether it's giving or whether it's worship, everything we know about worship, know about giving, know about prayer and fasting is revealed to us through the foundation of God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, look with me here at Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse number 26, we're going to start there. And let's read a few verses together. It says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. If you have a Bible and a pen, you should just underline verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And in verse 38 says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, the Bible describes Jesus, the Son of God, in a lot of different terms. We sing about a few of them this morning. He's called the Lamb of God. It's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus in the first chapter of Mark. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Revelations chapter 4, we see that Jesus is the Lamb on the throne, the only one who's worthy to open the scrolls of salvation. So Jesus is described as a lamb. He's also described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's referred to as the Son of God, the Most High, the Rose of Sharon, the seed of Abraham, the shoot from the, the, the branch from the, from the tribe of Jesse, the Son of David. All these terms he's called king. But in John chapter 1, the writer of the gospel, the, the disciple John, begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So probably the most profound description of Jesus is him being described as the eternal Word of God. The full expression, the logos, the, 
the, the, the expression, the, the full complement, the Word of God. He's called the Word of God. So when Jesus was born into the world, He was born as the incarnate Word of God. He went from being the eternal Word to becoming the incarnate Word, which is the Word becomes flesh. That's why we say that if you see Jesus, Jesus is perfect theology. If you ever wonder how God the Father really is, you see it fleshed out in who Jesus is because he is God's Word made flesh. (coughs) But what's interesting is Perhaps the greatest gift that God gave us, second second only to the incarnate word, which is his son Jesus, is he gave us his written word so that we would know and have a revelation of who he is, how he is, who we are, and what he has called us and what he's purposed to. He's given us this gift that I think oftentimes we take for granted. Someone showed me a video a couple weeks ago. In fact, I think they posted it on social media. And it was a picture of Chinese Christians who are greatly persecuted in the underground church spread all throughout China. Many of them have never owned a copy of the Holy Scriptures. Many of them have just had sections of the Bible or a page of the Bible or one Bible in an entire village that they pass around. And somebody posted a picture. It was a bootleg picture from a ministry that went into China and smuggled in Bibles. You want, this is a little interesting side note. The, the, the largest printers of the Bible in China are the Chinese government who has outlawed the Bible so that they can sell them to missionaries on the black market because the greatest way for them to get money is to sell what they've made illegal. So that's just crazy right there. But Missionaries go into China, buy the Bibles on the black market, and they showed this video of Chinese Christians in an underground church in a western province who got their first copy of the Bible for the first time. And it showed them taking it and kissing this Bible and holding it and hugging it like little children who just got the greatest Christmas gift that they have ever received in their life. And, you know, when I saw that, I was so convicted about that because in America we have more Bibles per capita per person than any other place on the planet. I mean, we've got Bibles, don't we? If you've ever been to Pastor Jeremy's house, he has a lot of Bibles. He and I kind of have a Bible thing going, where it's, uh, I'll get a new Bible, text him a picture, he texts me a new one, he buys me one, I buy him one. I mean, we have Bibles. And in America, we've got all kinds of Bibles. We've got electronic Bibles, so you got it on your smartphone, you got it on your iPad, your computer, you've got it there available digitally, but We've got Bibles of every kind. If you've ever been to a Christian bookstore, you notice that they don't. when I grew up, it's like you had two choices, NIV or King James. And you could get black, burgundy, or brown. And it was it, or hardcover. Uh, but now we've got Bibles of every sort, right? We've got NLT, ESV, New King James, King James. We've got the Holman Christian Bible, the, uh, the Message Translation. I think there's like... Uh, probably a hundred different translations. And then you can get them in all kinds of covers. You can get them in a, in a tin can cover. You can get them in a goat skin cover, calf skin cover, purple, dinosaur print cover. And we've got study Bibles for everybody, student study Bibles, elderly study Bibles, middle-aged pastor study Bibles, third shift slurpy repairman at 7-Eleven study Bibles. 
We've got a Bible for everybody. You go into a hotel, we've got Bibles in the drawers. We've got, we have more Bibles than we know what to do with. We've got all these Bibles, but what we oftentimes miss is an appreciation for the ones that we do. When I was 25, one of the first things that I ever did as a pastor was I went on the show called Ask the Pastor. It was a Christian television. They had a show. So they'd line pastors up, and people could call in and have Q&A. And uh, I was 25. I was a little brash. <laughs> and uh, somebody called in, and they wanted to argue that the King James was the only Bible that God inspired. And that just irked me. Because if you've ever tried to read the King James, God bless you if you do, because I've tried, and I can't understand it. Uh, but this guy called in, and he, he said, to the young pastor there, I want to ask him what he thinks is the right Bible for me to read. He said it just like that, just snarky. Just. And uh, so my response was, well, I said, I think the right Bible for you to read is the one that's collecting dust on your nightstand. Because if you were reading it, you wouldn't ask a question like that. I was never invited back on Ask the Pastor. It's been 20 years. I've never been invited back. But, you know, I just think sometimes we, we have something that we take for granted that is such a precious gift that God has given to you and I. And, and I want you to think of your Bible this morning in this, in this light. I want you to see it as a lens, as a pair of spectacles, that when you look at Jesus through the lens of God's Word, we see Him as He truly is. Not through a political lens, not through an American lens, not through our agenda lens, not through our preference lens, but through God's Word. He is the eternal Word of God who has chosen to reveal Himself as the incarnate Word, the incarnate word of God in Jesus and has given us the written Word of God so that we can continue to see Him and study Him and love Him. And I, Church, I believe we should fall madly in love with both the living Word of God and the written Word of God. We should be as passionate as Chinese Christians who get a Bible for the first time. If we get more excited about, about uh, a, a smartphone than we do about the Scriptures, then we've got our priorities reversed. And here's what's interesting about Luke chapter 1 and, and this particular story is Mary and Joseph were just a, a normal, average, under-the-radar young couple. We know of them now. We've made huge religious icons out of them because of their place in the story. But when the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and interrupted her regularly scheduled broadcasting for life of just wanting to get married and start a family, this was a profound, profound moment. I mean, Mary's just a young lady who's about to get married She's registered at Bed Bath & Beyond. She's ordered, she's ordered her dress from David's bridal. I mean, he's gone to Jared's. <laughs> they, they've, they've got their life planned. And in one moment, she turns around and she's confronted with this angel, this Gabriel, this one who is the messenger of God from the presence of God. And She's confronted with rejoice, you highly favored one. Imagine just walking into the kitchen one day. 
grabbing a pop out of the fridge and you spin around and there's a 10-foot glowing angel staying there going, rejoice. That would freak you out. Mary's whole life just was changed in a moment. The angel said to her, rejoice, you highly favored one of the Lord. You're blessed among women. God's about to change the world. He's about to fulfill the ancient scriptures about sending a savior, a deliverer. And God is going to use you to do it, Mary, you young Galilean teenage engaged girl. He's about to bring a son into the world that is going to be the son of David who's going to reign and rule. He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to forgive people of their sins. He's going to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Everything that you've ever read about, heard about in Sunday school is about to happen, and it's going to happen through you. Well, Mary asked the obvious question, how? How? I've ne- how am I going to have a child? I've never known a man. I'm engaged. I'm a virgin. We haven't consummated our relationship. How is this going to happen? I've remained pure all my life. How is this going to happen? The angel said, it's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God's going to supernaturally do it. He's going to come over the, he's going to hover over your womb just like the Holy Spirit did in Genesis chapter 1 when God spoke his word and said, let there be light. And it says that the spirit of the living God was hovering, incubating over the deep and called forth the mountains out of the ocean, the grass out of nothing, light out of the black universe. God's about to do it again, but this time not over a planet, but now over your womb. And he's about to uh, implant the word of God, his command, his living word, his son into your womb. And you're going to give birth supernaturally to this child. And he's going to grow up and be a mighty savior and a mighty deliverer. And in that moment, listen, in that moment, most of us would have just said that's an impossibility. Most of us would probably have rubbed our eyes a little bit. And am I really seeing this and clear? Am I really hearing this? But Mary's response in verse number 38 is so powerful. Mary said, upon hearing all that, she said, Behold, made servant of the Lord. In other words, I'm here to obey God. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, if you read the Christmas story, and it's insinuated here in this particular part, there were, there were two visits that the angel Gabriel made. One was to her, her uncle, Zechariah, who is a priest in the temple and is married to Elizabeth, and they're old. They've been barren their whole lives. And in biblical times, if you don't have children, people just assume that something's wrong with your life. You're under a curse. And so they've dealt with that. They've dealt with infertility. They've dealt with barrenness. They've moved way beyond that. They're in their elderly years, and he's a priest serving in the temple. And one day as he's serving in the temple, he offers the, the incense on the altar, spins around, and there's that same angel, Gabriel. And Gabriel gives him a similar word, a word, that they're going to have a child against impossible odds. Except there's something different in his response and Mary's because they both kind of ask the same question. Mary said, how can this be? Zechariah said, how can this be? But what God did with Zechariah was the angel said, so that you don't mess it up, you're not going to speak until the day the child's born. In other words, I'm not going to let your words cancel out God's word. And so God put him on mute. How many, by the way, how many have somebody in your life or that you know that you wish had a mute button? 
Don't raise your hands because you're in church. But we all do, right? It's like you just wish you could go poof until after the holidays. And so he's put on mute. Where So God dealt with Zechariah one way, but he deals with Mary another way. He tells Mary, well, nothing's impossible with God. And she, I, I think the difference was they both said the same words, but they said it from different places. He said, how is this going to happen from a place of doubt and unbelief? She said, how is this going to happen out of humility and obedience to whatever God was going to do? I don't understand, but I'm willing to believe. And so in this story, I think that there, is, there are some things that we can pull out that will help us as we approach God's word as a gift, as a lens for us to know and to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So let me give these to you. There's four of them. Number one is, as we approach the Word of God as a lens to see Jesus, we need to understand we approach it positioned in favor and not in fear. We come to the Word of God knowing that our position in relationship to God is a position of favor and not a position of fear. That's what the angel announced to Mary. Rejoice, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And then it says in verse number 30, For you have found favor with God. When you and I approach the Bible, when we approach the Scriptures, we need to realize that these, these words that we read are different than any other words that we will ever read. Jesus said, The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. There's the two-dimensional, the three-dimensional reality to what we read, which is words that are written in black and on white paper and sometimes red type that we read and take in as information. But between the lines and underneath the lines and contained within the lines, there is spirit and there is life. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. And when we approach the Scriptures, we've got to be careful that we don't come to the Scriptures, we don't come to the Word of God with an attitude of fear in approaching God through His Word. Because a lot of people do that. A lot of people never read the Bible because they're afraid that they're going to read something that's going to be judgment against them or condemnation against them or they're going to feel shame about who they are or what they've done. A lot of people read the Scripture and think, well, you know, if I read the Bible, it's basically, you know, Pastor, the reason I don't read the Bible is because all it is is a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's God telling me, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And, you know, I, I'm afraid I'm, I'm not going to be able to meet that standard. I'm afraid that if I, I, if I read it, I'm responsible for it. And if we come to the Word of God from a position of fear, well, we will never value the Word of God. We'll ignore it and stay away from it. Because so many of us are perfectionistic. We think that our relationship with God is all based out of performance. If I can just be a better version of myself, if, if I can just keep this list of do's and don'ts, then somehow maybe I'll earn God's favor. But let me tell you something. You, we don't go to the Scriptures to read the Bible on a daily basis or pray or even go to church in order to prove to God that we deserve His favor on our lives. We go to the Scriptures and we go to the place of prayer, and we walk into the church knowing that before the foundations of the world were ever established, we were already his favored ones, and therefore we want to run to be with him. We want to run to the scriptures and read about him. We want to pray and have conversation with him because God likes us. 
Do you know that God likes you today? You're his favorite. You might say, well, how can I be his favorite if they're his favorite? Well, God is so omnipotent that he's able to have a lot of favorites. And you are a favored one of God. You don't have to convince God. Listen, God knows me better than I know myself. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my rising up, my laying down. He knows my motives. He knows my sin. He knows my past. He knows the secret intents of my heart. He knows all the things that I would have a tendency to view myself and view God through that filter. But when God sees all that, he says, yeah, 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 I know all that. But let me tell you what else I see. I see a son or a daughter of God. I see one who I valued so much that I was willing to send my son to bleed and to die on a cross. I see how I've wired you and how I've created you. I know the gifts I deposited on the inside of you. And I am totally uh, overwhelmed with love for you. And yeah, all that other, that's why I sent Jesus to deal with all of that brokenness and to remove that. But man, I see the potential. I see the goodness. And if we approach the word of God, that God actually likes us and has some promises in his word that he's given to us. If we approach this not as a list of rules to keep, but as a profile and a description of a good God to us about his goodness. If if we trust that God is our maker and he is our father and he says, you want to know who you really are, how I see you? And he says, if you want to see that, go to the word. Then listen, we will be ravished for the word of God. When we come to the Bible, we've got to come positioned from favor and not fear. The second thing is the word has to be received and believed. Two people can read the Bible just from a scientific point of view and, and read it. <coughs> one, one person walks away and says, you know what, that's great literature, but it doesn't change their life. Another person reads it, and it radically changes and alters the course of their destiny. And the difference is, it's not enough for the Bible, for the Word of God to be read. It has to be received and believed. I was 12 years old when Jesus stepped into my life. I was a young man. And Jesus radically stepped into my life, revealed himself to me. And, and there was something that, that clicked on the inside of me. That in, uh, just a, a momentary encounter in the presence of the Lord that changed my life and my perspective. But I'll tell you, I came out of that moment, out of that, that season of my life, and what I what I walked out of it with was a ravenous appetite for the Word of God. I went out and I saved my Christmas money, my birthday money, and I went down to the local Christian bookstore and I bought uh, a brown Schofield study Bible with the revised King James Version. So it took all the these and thous out of it, but it was the big, it was a 50-pound heathen choker. I mean, it was a big old Bible. I, felt, I figured bigger was better. And I, I spent hours studying the Bible. Now, I didn't study it because I wanted to be an expert in literature. I studied it because I, I had had an encounter with the living word, and now I went to the written word so that I could better relate and understand and see the living word. And something happened on the inside of me that made me believe, that made me uh, hungry to receive what God had said. You know, it's, you can read it and not receive it. 
Zechariah heard the word, but he didn't receive the word. Mary hears the word, and she says in verse 38, Be it to me according to your word. See, when we come to Scripture, how many know God's not interested in arguments? The Bible's full of a lot of questions, but none of them are because God's looking for information. The Bible makes a lot of statements that God's not throwing out on the table saying, let's have a conversation about, let's let it evolve, let's let it change, social progress. God's not in heaven going, wow, I never saw that one coming, whoa. God's in heaven, it says that his work is finished from the foundations of the world. His, it says that flowers fade, the grass withers, but my word shall remain forever. The Bible says about itself that the word of God is unbroken. God's not changing, and he doesn't care about polls, and he really doesn't care what we think about it. We can say to God, God, well, you know, I see that you wrote that, but guess what? I don't like that. And God's like, I'm sorry. If you're a parent, you know what that feels like. Your kids come down to the dinner table. I don't feel like spaghetti. Well, guess what you're having? Spaghetti. Or you can sit at the table and watch us eat spaghetti, and then you're going to be hungry. Now, I know that there are those parents who are like, oh, what do you want? Oh, would you like a Hot Pocket? How about a Twinkie? How about a piece of birthday cake with some spaghetti sauce on top of that? Does that sound good to you? Oh, but God's not taking orders. God's written his word. It is established, and our responsibility is to receive it. James chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore, put aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and to receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. See, we have to receive it, and the way we receive it into the soil of our heart is with meekness. It's like Mary. We come to the word of God, and it, it should humble us. Now listen, just like Mary, there are some mysteries. Mary asks the question, I hear what you're saying, but how is this going to ever happen? How can this happen? There are some things that God says in his word that we don't understand, that don't make sense to us. Give 10% of my income to you, God, and you said that you're going to bless it so that the 90% does more than the 100% ever would because your blessing's on it. That doesn't make sense. Turn the other cheek when somebody, that doesn't make sense. Love my, love my enemies? That doesn't make sense. There are some things in the kingdom of God that do not make intellectual sense. They are mystery, but it doesn't give us permission to unbelieve it. That's where we receive it. We go to God's word with humility and we say, be it to me according to your word. We've got to be careful that we don't let the mysteries or the things that we don't understand keep us from receiving the word. Number three is, when we come to the Word and see Jesus through the Word, realize that you never read the Bible alone. You never read the Bible alone. Well, wait a second, Pastor Lee. You know, I've heard for years and years and years that I need to have my own personal time with the Lord. Yes, you do. But you never read the Bible alone. And the reason why you don't read the Bible alone is because the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is your helper. Jesus said in John 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring you into remembrance of all things that I have said. In verse 35, what we see in the story of Mary is it says that the angel announces the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you and then you shall conceive. See, it's the same idea that when you and I read the scriptures as beloved children of God, we never read the Bible alone. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you Jesus said would be a helper. The word there for helper is paraclete, which means one who comes up alongside, bears the burden, leads the way, and instructs you. He, he takes the burden off of you. He knows the way, and he's going to lead and teach you along the way. So the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the written word. The Holy Spirit is the one that overshadowed Mary and brought to pass the eternal now incarnate word within the womb of Mary, and the Holy Spirit is the one that, if you will, every single day invite, he will help you understand the written word because he's the author. See, one of the prayers I pray every day, I would encourage you to pray, simple prayer. But when I go to the word, as I pray, and I'm about to read the the Bible, I I don't want to just read for information. Oh, man, I know more about the scriptures. But I want to read for revelation and transformation. So I pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you were my guide and my helper, that you would lead and guide me into all truth. Today as I read the scriptures, would you open my eyes to see wonderful and great truths in your word? Would you lead me as I read, speak to me, help me to see what I'm supposed to see and learn what I'm supposed to learn? I pray that prayer. And, you know, I've read the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times. But there's never a single time that I read it that I don't see something brand new. How many have ever read your Bible? Number one, how many have ever read your Bible? Raise your hand. It's a participation sport. All right. Okay. So how many of you have ever read your Bible and all of a sudden you read something that you've read many, many times, but all of a sudden it pops out at you in a different way? You ever had that? Can I just tell you today? That's the Holy Spirit. That's why I mean you never read your Bible alone. And number four, let me give this to you as the final part of seeing Jesus through the lens of his word. God's word is always meant to lead to sonship. It's always meant to lead us into a deeper understanding of our sonship in Jesus. The outcome of the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary's womb was that it produced the Son of God. You know what's interesting is that even Jesus had to grow into his calling. Jesus wasn't born in this nativity setting, knowing and functioning fully in his destiny and his calling and knowing fully his identity. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So even Jesus, the Son of God, had to go through a developmental process. Do you know that you and I are called to a developmental process? And as we read the word, God's goal for his word in our lives is to bring us to a place of maturity so that we start at infancy, at the new birth, but as we go to the word, it begins to feed us, the Holy Spirit begins to lead us, we begin to receive it, and it begins to take root on the inside of us and develop us and mature us into mature sons and daughters. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes... Desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, you know, when we're babies, we start with milk. 
That's what the Word of God is, but there's also meat, where it's the, the deeper things. We go from milk to meat, which means there's progress. And God's goal with the Word is always to bring you into a place of understanding your identity, growing closer in relationship with the Father as a son or as a daughter, who has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So we go to the Word, and the more we're in it, we, like Jesus, we begin to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord. Now listen, that means that there is a process for each and every one of us. There's a process called progress where he wants us to go from glory to glory and from strength to strength. It's great that you're saved and Jesus is the Lord of your life. But it's more than just about getting you into heaven. Jesus didn't just save you to get you into heaven. He saved you so he could get heaven into earth. And that requires you maturing. If it was just about getting you into heaven, when Pastor Jeremy baptized you, he would have just held you under the water until the bubbles stopped coming up. And we would have celebrated another soul who's made it to heaven. Why leave you here on this planet so that you can mess things up? <coughs> But the fact that you were brought up in the newness of life means that there's something for you to do in this life. There's a calling upon your life. Well, listen, you will only be strengthened as you live on a steady diet of God's Word. It begins to grow you. If you've ever raised teenagers, you know that they start off eating baby, Gerber baby food and formula. But man, by the time that I have a son who's six foot six and 250 pounds, college student and that boy can eat he started off with infamil in a shaker bottle it's like oh here you go just take that now he like consumes costco products at an alarming rate i mean we'll buy like 20 boxes of cereal and come downstairs it's like where'd that go i ate it where'd all the chips go we just bought an industrial five pound bag of chips oh i I was hungry. Really? You just ate an entire 24-pound block of cheese. What is wrong with Where's your sister? I ate her. I mean, listen, because as we grow, we develop an appetite. Can I just tell you this morning? In the natural, when you eat, your appetite diminishes. But in the kingdom of God, it's exactly the opposite. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. Because you taste and you see that the Lord is good. And He is good. The Word of God this morning is an invitation. The very fact that God gave us the Scriptures. We didn't like find them in the archives of heaven and steal them from God. God gave them to us. And by giving us not only His Son, but giving us the written Word, He gives us an invitation. Discover me, find me, engage with me. I am the living word. You'll find me in the written word. And if you'll seek me with all of your heart, you will indeed find me. Would you uh, bow your heads with me all over this room? And we're just going to pray before Pastor Jeremy comes back up. Lord, today we are so grateful for your word. We're just so grateful for the gift of your word that is beautiful, it's powerful. And we're thankful for your son, Jesus. 
What a wonderful, what a beautiful, what a powerful name it is. You have no rival. You have no equal, Jesus. I pray that that's the prayer of every person in this room. But Lord, you would have our full attention. Lord, we're grateful for the story of Mary and Joseph. But Lord, even more, we're grateful of knowing that you have a story for us. A story of faith for us to believe you to engage with you, to receive your word, and to walk in your destiny and calling for our lives. I pray that for everyone in this room, that, Lord, that they would hear your voice, that you would stir up a hunger for the name of Jesus, a hunger for your word, and, Lord, that you would give us a glimpse, a revelation, peering through the window to behold you as you truly are. For it's in that moment that everything changes in our life. We invite you to do that, Holy Spirit. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Radiant Church. You've been a blessing. Really appreciate you. That was incredible. Thank you so much, Pastor Lee, for being here with us today. Uh, we're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. And I just want to say, this week as we were um, kind of going over what you all have given above and beyond your tithes to be able to bless our community uh, has really just been unbelievable. And I am so proud as a pastor to be here with a group of people that love their community and love Jesus so much that they want to give to see other people come to have this tangible demonstration of God's love for them. And incredible stories are coming in. I look forward to being able to share more with you about that. But Father, as we give to you this morning, thank you that you first gave to us. And as we give to you, Jesus, we do it in obedience, but also because our hearts are connected to you and to your kingdom. And we want to see your kingdom continue to come and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest. We know there are a lot of things you could have done, but you chose to be here with us, and we're so honored by that. You probably received a communication card as you came in. If you fill it out and turn it in at the information table, we have a free Radiant t-shirt for you. Is our way of saying thank you so much for being here. And then this week, I'll shoot you an email. Just welcome you to the church and let you know if you have any questions, if there's anything I can do for you, please let me know. Uh, we also have our uh, Next Steps Discover class going on today. If you've ever been curious about what it was that God made you for, this class is going to help you discover that. It's going to take a look at your personality and the spiritual gifts that God has uniquely made you with, and these will be indicators of the things that he created you for. So I'd encourage you, you can go to that class. You don't have to sign up. Just go to the info table, and they'll direct you to the room. Lunch will be provided. And then next week, uh, Christmas Sunday, we are having service here at 10 a.m. It's going to be a family service. All the kids will be in here with us. We'll do it a little bit shorter uh, so that your kids don't freak out. Uh, but we're going to have free gifts for everybody. There's going to be Zingerman cinnamon rolls. Uh, it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it, so make sure you get here. And I know there's a lot of pressure to dress up on Christmas Sunday, look your best. You know what? My kids are going to be coming. I know my wife is planning on great little outfits for them, but they might be in their PJs when it comes down to it. And if that's you, bring your kids in your pajamas. That's perfectly fine. We just want to be here as a family to celebrate Jesus together. And uh, I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They'll be right here in the front. If there's anything we can pray with you about today, we see God move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. So come and let us pray for you. If not, go out, drink some coffee, eat some snacks, make some friends, and we'll see you next week. God bless.